Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on. Good morning, everybody. You're doing good today? Welcome to Transformation Church. It is so good to be in God's house. Come on. We believe in transformation. We don't want to just hang out and uh, leave the same. Come on. I need change in my life. Anybody need change in your life? That's what I was praying for in my own heart, my own life today at this altar. Uh, we, we, I want to say real quick, we had Serve Knock Saturday yesterday. Amazing day. Come on. Thank you for serving. Give yourselves a hand. It, give yourselves a better hand than that. It was an amazing day. We gave away 200 sandwiches to Love Lunches downtown. We gave away every single bit of food and clothing we had here. So it was slammed all day long, and people were getting blessed and taken care of. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your serving and your generosity. You are making a difference in this region for the name of Jesus, and I'm so proud uh, to be your pastor. I I will tell you, I have no other church that I would want to pastor. I love how hungry you guys are. I love how rowdy you are. I love how open you are, And, and as a pastor, it makes it easy to preach and to bring the word of God and to pour my heart out because of who you are and the faith that you have for what God wants to do here. And so I'm honored to be your pastor. We're going to jump into the word today. We're starting a new series uh, called um, Dearly Beloved, and we're going to look at the book of Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon, and uh, Solomon wrote it. And uh, before I jump into it, I want to encourage you, grab some XO invites at our, at our XO wall out there. There's a big grass wall. Grab some invites, invite some couples. I promise you, it's a two-day conference at the end of this month. We're believing for 100 couples. We want to see 200 people come and get in the word of God around marriage. How many know marriage is important? It's going to be, and how many know that the devil does not like marriage and society and culture does not like marriage the way that God defines it in many instances. And so we're going to look at this book and the enemy doesn't like that. So we believe, be praying for us, be praying for our church because we're opening up to the area, to the city to come and be a part of this conference. And then like you heard next week is water baptism. If you have not been water baptized, that is your next step in your faith. You say, well, what's my next step? How do I go deeper with God? How do I take steps of faith? Maybe you got water baptized when you were younger, but your walk with Christ wasn't real serious or real on fire. The next step is to take that step of obedience. Jesus got water baptized. Well, why do I need to do it? Jesus did. Come on, he went down into the water, through the water, and came up out of the water. And so I would encourage you, you can go to Connection. It's in our main lobby. Sign up. Somebody will get you registered. And we got shirts and all kinds of stuff for you. You can invite your family. We're going to celebrate for that. So take that step. This book, Song of Solomon, is one of the most controversial books in the Bible, okay? Um, so I'm gonna, there's gonna, this is gonna be a PG-15 type series, okay? Uh, and, okay I just wanna give you upfront warning. Like, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, I mean, it's a very exotic book. It's a very real book. It's a sensual book. Many, they say rabbis wouldn't let their, their, their understudies even read the books. I've heard t- until they were 30. I'm like, my, my gosh. I mean, no wonder they, you know, they didn't know what was going on. Now, you need to read the book, you know what I mean? And so um, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's also not just um, that type of book. It's also a lot of controversy around the book. Like there's a lot of different themes. Is it allegorical? Is it, it should it have been in the Bible? There's many opinions around the book. Who was, uh, the, the, the Shulamite girl? Uh, many people have different thoughts. Many think she might've been a girl named Abishag who was a young virgin that went and stayed in David's bed when he was older to keep him warm. They did not sleep together. He was a king and she kind of took care of David's needs. And then Solomon became uh, king and his 
brother Abisha wanted uh, Abishag, and Solomon thought that was ridiculous. And like, man, that's my dad. She's been assigned to our father, and so he went and had his brother killed because he. And so many people believe that like Solomon had a thing for Abishag. I, I don't think it was her. Um, I think it was this girl that lived up in Ephraim. I'm gonna look at it a little bit here in a minute. And uh, the theme or the title of the whole uh, series, um, uh, Dearly Beloved, comes from this verse in chapter 2, verse 16. Uh, I think it'll be on the screen. She just says, the Shulamite girl just says, my beloved is mine and I am his. One translation says, my beloved is mine and I am my beloved's. Many people have that on a wedding band or, or tattooed somewhere, or it's just a statement of love and commitment to one another. Um, and so that's kind of where the title comes from um, that we're going to look at. And I'm going to give you some thoughts and, and, and challenges throughout the scriptures. I'm going to pull some verses all, from all over the Bible, and uh, hopefully I can help us. It's a, it's a poetic song, so it's kind of like uh, this song back and forth between this, cu- this bride and bridegroom. And then, and then it's this, also there's a chorus of the girls of Jerusalem kind of speaking in. There's a background of this chorus that's going on. And so uh, I think the girl was a girl that lived up in Ephraim. Um, there was a vineyard that Solomon owned up in Ephraim. And uh, he, he had this vineyard and a family took care of the vineyard. And the mom and dad died. And there, were, there was an older sister named, who was a Shulamite girl, uh, the Shulamite woman. She was the older sister. And it was kind of a Cinderella situation where she had two brothers and she said, they're very mean to me. Mom and dad passed away. And so these two brothers made her go out into the field and do all the work that they didn't want to do. And so she begins to get real insecure. Her skin isn't taken care of. She's sunburned. She, 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 her hands are, you know, kind of cracked. She's very common. She's, does, she's not, uh, she's, she doesn't feel very elegant. She doesn't feel very, um, you know, attractive. Attractive. And so uh, she's this, this Shulamite girl. Solomon owns the vineyard. He's king at this point. He travels up to the area of Ephraim to check on his vineyard. And uh, he's in disguise. He doesn't, he's not obviously dressed as king. And uh, as he gets up there, he falls in love. She falls in love with him. And, and he falls in love with her. He looks past all of her external blemishes. He see, and she's never imagined anybody could love her beyond any of those blemishes. And so he falls in love with her. He looks past that. She falls in love with him. He promises to come back and get her one day. He leaves. As he leaves, everybody begins to make fun of her because there's a delay in his return. And then one day he sends these, these individuals, these king's individuals to summon her to Jerusalem. When they show up, uh, they summon her and they bring her to Jerusalem. When she gets to Jerusalem, she realizes it's this shepherd uh, stranger that she fell in love with, but he's actually the king. Come on. Does this sound familiar to anybody? That we've all been the benefactors of a great shepherd king. That, that fell in love with us and looked past our blemishes and then left and went away and promised to return one day and take us to himself. Many make fun of us because we have a hope beyond this earth. Come on. And so, and so there's a lot of parallels, but when it comes to, to marriage, so they have this, this engagement. And I'm going to just run through some thoughts real quick. These, these verses won't be on the screen. If you're taking notes, write these verses down. Everybody knows note takers are history makers. Come on, somebody. Let's try it again. Note takers are history makers. We take notes. We write it down. uh, Chapter one, verse two, she says this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. 
for your love is better than wine. Um, I'm going to get into some thoughts about love. There's three words used for love in the Hebrew in this, in this passage in all of the book. And there's three words in the New Testament for love uh, in the Greek. And actually only two of them are used. And I'm going to break that down in a minute. But she says, your love is better than wine. Your kisses, it's sensual. There's this foreplay she begins to talk about. They're going, uh, getting ready for the marriage, uh, for the bridal chamber. And she talks about his kisses and, and, and just this sensual uh, care for one another. For your love is better than wine. Verse three, because of the fragrance of your good ointments, listen to this, your name is ointment poured forth. She, she says, we've got this, this love and this chemistry, but your name is ointment. Like literally you have character, you have inward depth. Come on, ladies, listen, don't just look at the outward appearance. She's going, your name has character and weight in the community. You've done some inward soul work. You've allowed God to change some things on the inside of you in a way. It's not just this external love that your name has an anointment, an ointment that smells good around. And then she says, therefore, the virgins love you. She says, everybody loves you because of your character. Our society has put so much emphasis on this external non-character factors of the glam and the glitz and the beauty and the money and all these other things that do not last. Amen. And she says, man, your character is ointment. And then verse four, she says this. She says, draw me away. It's like, shoot your shot. <laughs> it's Valentine's Day. Like, Come on, dude. Come on, man. Shoot your shot. Like, she's like, draw me away. It's, it's, she's saying how it's the, the male's responsibility to draw and to woo. It's, it's Christ's responsibility to draw and the Holy Spirit's responsibility to draw and to woo our heart into this commitment. And so she says, draw me away. Chapter two, verse one. She says this, I am a rose of Sharon and a lily of the valley. She begins to, <clears throat> excuse me, she begins to put herself down. Is there a little bit of water I could grab? She begins to put herself down. She begins to, thank you, Guido. Guido's got it. Thank you. She begins to put herself down. And she says, I'm a rose of, of, of Sharon, a lily of the valley. We know that Christ has that, um, has that title, but um, she's referring to herself that way. And here's what she's saying. She's just a common lily. She's like, I'm a common flower. She's actually putting down herself, like making fun of kind of saying, I'm not worthy of this relationship. I'm not worthy of love. And here's what Solomon does. I love it. Right in verse two, he interrupts her. He interrupts this comparison she's making with herself to this common lily. And he says, whoa, you're a lily among thorns. He, he says, he says you, you might be common, but nothing compares. You might be common, but nothing compares to you. Come on, man. It's your job to reassure and to love and to bless. And yeah, come on. There's a lot of commonalities in marriage. There's a lot of common things, but nothing compares to the spouse you have. Nothing compares to the woman or to the husband that you have. And it's our job to go, you know what? Yeah, he says it. He doesn't say she's not common. He says, you're not common, but you, you're a lily among thorns, girl. Like you got it going on and nothing else. Can, everybody else compared to you is worthless. And there's this, there's this vision that he has for his bride and his spouse. And I just think, thank you. We take the top off for me. He, he, he literally just says like, like you, you, you're everything to me. Thank you. I'm going to interrupt myself here for a second. Sorry. My throat's been weird. He goes, literally, you're, you're this, you're this lily. Nothing, nothing compares. He reassures, please hear me. Reassure your spouse. She, she needs it. Like, like we need it. Guys need it too, but especially your, your wives and your brides. Like there's this reassurance going, man, you're the only one for me. You're, you're all I need. My eyes are all on you. So they go back and forth and they're flirting and they begin to have this kind of flirtatious uh, song going on. And then he takes her to the bridal chamber. And she says this, 
His banner over me is love, agape. Up to this point, it's all about passion and eroticism and just, just sensualism. And, and now he, she says, his love over me is agape. That's the same word. It's in the New Testament. It's literally a commitment type love. I'm going through the bridal chamber and there's a commitment type love. One thing that underlines this entire book is that sexual intimacy is in the confines of commitment and marriage. I don't, I don't know where you are today, but I'm going to come at you hard. Can I come at you hard today? Because the book comes at us hard. Literally, he says, the love over me, the banner over me, sex is sanctified and the commitment of marriage. Sexual intimacy requires the prerequisite of commitment. God designed it for that. Come on, young people, I'm going to talk to you a lot today. She says this. She says to her girlfriends, because they're getting ready to go into the, into the bridal chamber, and they're getting ready to make love. And she says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. She's saying, she says this, don't, don't, don't get passion going. Don't get all hot and bothered. Don't get heated up until it pleases, until you're in the commitment of marriage because it's gonna end ungodly. It's gonna end painful. It's not God's design. Don't stir it up until it pleases. Like what she's saying is don't start your engines if you can't cross the finish line. Here's what you do so often as unmarried couples. Listen, I was one at one time. My wife and I thank God by the grace that we, we hugged and kissed too tight, but, 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 but God kept us. Come on, somebody. I, I always tell people, four on the floor. If you keep all four feet on the floor, you can't take any clothes, can't come off, right? Maybe, hopefully. <laughs> like, like, like don't, don't stir it up early. Like, you're, you're, not, you're not married yet. You, you weren't, here's what you're doing. Here's why it's so frustrating. You weren't designed to stop. She, she says, don't, don't stir it up too early. Here's what you do. You go, we're just going to push the line here. We're just going to go this far. We're just going to do that. And then we'll stop. And then, and then you don't stop because God didn't design you to stop. God designed you to cross the finish line. Come on, can we talk? Can we be real? He designed, hey man, designed you to get the checkered flag. He designed, I'm giving NASCAR. I don't know what other marathons, I don't know what other analogies we can give, but the reality is I better stop with that one. This is in the Bible. Don't get mad at me today. Come on, I'm going to give you Bible. And if you're a young person in here, and if you, or if you're dating in here, stop participating in things that aren't God's design. Well, we love each other, so that's why we can have sex. We love each other. We can push the line. No, you don't love each other. Not the way God said. You lust each other. You're trying to fulfill insecurities and lust because your sin is a, is, is a false actual sense of joy because God doesn't satisfy you. And when God doesn't satisfy you, you have to have a counterfeit joy. Well, we love each other. Yeah, you lust each other. And I just don't want you to fill your life up on insecurities when God actually wants to fill your life up the way he designed it. So listen, it's not love before, before you're married. It's not love before you're married. It's not a love that lasts anyway. Everybody say, we love you, pastor. Here's three words for love. I only have a few minutes. I got a lot to preach today, man. There's three words for love to, to, to really look at in the scriptures. Eros love, eros. The, you've heard of the God, the Greek God, eros. Eros love. This love is not even mentioned in the New Testament. 
It's not even brought up. It's a passionate love. It's that chemistry. It's that chemical love. It's that hot and bothered type of love. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like you need chemistry for it. It's a passion. It's attraction. It's not even mentioned in the New Testament. Now, now listen to me. It doesn't, doesn't mean God didn't give us that because you look at and, and, and you're going to see attractive people and there's an initial attraction and that's okay. It can't be built upon. That's not something that you build a relationship and a marriage on because that stuff, that stuff, you don't need to know anything about somebody to have that. You can be on a city bus and be like, what up, girl? <laughs> no blind lace. What up, girl? You know what I'm saying? You don't have to know anything. You don't have to be able to talk to each other. You don't have to. And so you get into these relationships. You're attracted to that. And then all of a sudden you get to know each other and they pick their nose. They pick their toes. They pick other stuff. They do weird things. You don't even know them. And then once that stuff starts being seen, now all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't know them. And that attraction begins to wear off. Does that make sense? So you can't build on eros love. You don't build a mature love on attraction. The second type of love is philia love. This love is brotherly love, affection. We have to have it. It's deep love and friendship. It's mentioned in the New Testament, but it's not something that you can build on because it comes and goes. It's like babies, right? Oh, look at the little baby. Look at the baby. Right? So cute. Oh. They become teenagers. They stink. They're greasy. They don't shower. It's a different type of affection. It's like puppy love. Look at the little puppy. It grows up. It starts licking its butt. You're like, that's disgusting, right? It's not as cute. Puppy is cute. What? Don't let your dog lick your face. Stop doing that. It's disgusting, right? Some, I've seen people like, just lick my, they're just kissing their dog. I'm like, man, you should have seen him 15 minutes ago. Don't do that. Stop. <laughs> Some of y'all, that, 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 that brotherly love, that type of love, marriages have to have it, but it comes and goes. Agape love is what we have to build on. Agape love is a love that lasts. It doesn't change. It's self-giving love. It, it loves without demanding or expecting repayment. It loves, uh, it loves the unlovable. It loves the unappealing. It's a love that loves even when it's rejected. Agape love gives. It gives love. It, do, it doesn't want anything in return. It doesn't demand repayment. It loves because, because love gives and it gives and it doesn't ask for anything in return. Here's what, we, here's what I'm going to give you a title in a second. I'm not even to my title yet. <laughs> the word agape is where we get the English word agony. Agony. When Christ talked about how he loved us, when we think about marriage and we think about commitment, we think about caring for each other, there's this, there's this sacrificial giving kind of love. There's this, this love that, that actually hurts. We think of love like, man, I love chocolate. I love ice cream. I love golfing. I love work. I love I love Cheetos, whatever. I love, we got a jacked up thought about love. It actually means agony, like, like a commitment love that's been through some stuff. Solomon 8, 6, and 7 says this, and I hope I see somebody's marriage get healed this month because some of you are going through stuff and you think it's uncommon, but it's not. There's a, there's a fight for love. He says in the very end of the book, he says, love is an invincible facing danger and death. Passion laughs at the terrors of hell. The fire of love stops at nothing. It sweeps everything before it. Floodwaters can't drown love. Torrents of rain can't put it out. Love can't be bought. Love can't be sold. It's not found in the marketplace. Love. It's a, it, it means, look at the passage. It's going to face floodwaters. It's going to face hell. It's going to face death. It's going to face fires. It's going to face things that try to extinguish it. And it says this kind of love is an agape love that goes through stuff and endures. My simple title for today is looking for love. 
We're all, we're all looking for a love that would last. We're all looking for a love that doesn't end abruptly. We're all looking for a, 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 a durable love, a love that's been through some stuff, a grandparent love. Come on, a World War II love, somebody. Why do we all celebrate it 44 and 42 years? Because it's uncommon. It's an uncommon love. It's an uncommon fight. It's an uncommon battle for men and women to go through the hell that we all face day in and day out. Say, you know what? I'm going to work through this. I'm going to go through the agony. I need this kind of love from God. That's maturity. Listen, between my mother and father, I've told y'all, they've been married seven times. I made a decision. One life, one wife. Come on. If she leaves, I'm going with her, somebody. We, we going together. Divorce isn't an option, but killing each other might be some days. Come on, death is. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> I'm sure we've done it in our minds, though. Come on, somebody. Any, any humans in here? Come on. I, I just, there's, there's this... There's this type of love. I just want, I just want you to know. So in this whole month, I, I, we're not going to shame each other. We're not going to look back. We're not going to dig up trash on each other. If your marriage is hurting, it can be fixed. If, if your marriage is good, it can get better. If you're as single as a dollar bill, this series is going to help you. I just believe that there's marriage that's fixable and enjoyable. And I'm going to give you a couple thoughts real quick, man. Here, here's, here's a verse in Solomon Song of Solomon 2.15, it says, quick, she says this, quick, catch all the little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of your love. She talks about these little foxes that can actually, she says, quick, they're getting ready to go out of town on a little trip. And she says, quick, catch the foxes, catch the little things that want to actually be an enemy of your love coming to maturity. And so I'm going to give you some thoughts of little foxes of, of marriage, the little issues. Come on. You know, the little rolling of the eyes, the little unexpected things, the little tone, the little unforgiveness, the little, the little bitterness, the little, these are little things that destroy the longevity of our love. And so here's a couple simple thoughts on some marriage foxes. Number one, unrealistic expectations. I think this is one of the number one pain points in marriage, unrealistic expectations. I think that we all go into marriage, they're going to be just like me. (laughs) No, they're not. They're going to laugh at every joke of mine. They're going to love all my cooking. Uh, We're going to have sex six days a week. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk for three hours on the phone just like we did when we were dating. Oh, yeah. We're going on three vacations per year. We're going, we're, going, we're going to spend three nights a week with our friends. We're going to have our own friends. Three nights a week, we're going to have independence and our own friends. We're, my money's going to be my money. Her money's going to be her money. Oh, me. She should have. He should have. Why don't they? Why won't she? Why wouldn't they? I do. Why don't they? And then all of a sudden, real life sets in, and you ain't fanning each other, and dinner isn't on the table every night at the time you want it to be, and reality sets in, and unrealistic expectations and conflict begins. Here's a story real quick in the Second Kings. It says that Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, most of your expectations you've said to yourself. Uncommunicated expectations are usually unrealistic expectations because you don't want to share them and get them out there. And so you have to communicate. And he says to himself, he will surely come out to me and still stand and call the name of his God and wave his hand over, over this place and heal the leprosy. He wanted a magic trick. Can I tell you, there's no magic trick for your marriage. 
No one inherited the marriage lottery. No one got a good one. It's love and it's work. And so it said, and then he says, aren't my rivers better in Damascus? He says, could I not wit, wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He leaves angry. He leaves because he expected God to do something. He had an unrealistic expectation about what God said and how God wanted to do it. Many of you are frustrated with your spouse because you have an unrealistic expectation of what has been said or what you think should happen. And so now you're frustrated and you're carrying these things around and you really need to get some help and talk through if these expectations are good or realistic or not. Come on. Many think, well, if marriage was meant to be, if I was supposed to be married to this person, then we'd never fight. <laughs> if I was meant to be married, then we'd be happier, right? Can I tell you that my wife and I got in a blowout fight last night? <laughs> Not terrible, I'm gonna blow out. <laughs> it's a little mini fight. What was it? Did you say? She just, she just lips, she just mouthed something to me. I can't even go on. <laughs> it was a little fight. And, I'm, and we're fighting, I said, We can't fight. I gotta preach about marriage tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, the reality is like we're human, like we, 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 we got to talk through things and forgive and ask forgiveness and humble ourselves. And this man wouldn't humble himself. If you're going to have a good marriage, you've got to humble yourself and talk and communicate and forgive and believe God and get somebody else outside your marriage to tell you what, what expectations are realistic and unrealistic because you don't know because you have them. <laughs> And you're trying to put them on somebody and y'all don't, and it's like, just talk, husbands and wives, get some help. It's not easy. Christ can help you change in your heart. So number one, Fox is an unrealistic expectation. Number two, uh, very big Fox, unexpected differences. You're like, man, I thought they were just like me. I thought we were just alike. No, you didn't. You were blinded by passion because you wanted to have sex and you overlooked all the differences and all the dislikes that you didn't, you didn't think were... It's called chemistry. Can you know chemistry equations blow up? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like blind, blind, blind love is called chemistry. That's, that's that you, you just had passion. You had lust. Blind love is called lust. <laughs> love is not blind, you know? And so, so the reality is there's these unexpected differences. Hear me. Marriage is a decision to honor differences. Begin to honor the differences. Usually opposites attract and then opposites attack. And so the reason that you're attacking so much is because God actually puts you get together to complete, not compete, but you're competing because you're not honoring the differences. And so now your wife or your husband has these differences. We're different. We're all, I mean, if you say, well, I'm married, the biggest red flag when I meet couples is like, my spouse is just like me. I'm like, oh my God, we're in for, we're in for some trouble. Maybe you have some giftings that are like each other, but one's a man and one's a woman and they is different, somebody. And so you need to begin to honor the differences. You need to begin to ask God to help you understand your spouse's differences and accept them. How do you know if you've accepted your spouse's differences? If you've quit trying to change them. Stop trying to change your spouse. You can't. You can't change you. You can begin to ask God to give you the capacity to understand and honor your spouse and to accept their differences. Begin to, even if you know they're different, it's still going to take God's power to accept it and to acknowledge it and to ask God to help you with those differences. Begin to not try to change them because usually we try to change them into who we are. We don't need another you. God got one of you. Is this okay? Can I talk real? 
And so I, I need God to help me to understand my spouse and not to attack, but to attract because we're opposite and we complete each other. God, give me the strength. Unexpected differences are a fox. Number three, and I've got three points under this one. I know I'm going fast. Take notes, get online, download the app, listen to the message. The third fox is this, unmet needs, unmet needs. Men and women have three common needs that we all carry, but listen to me, they're common needs, but we express the need differently. And so I wanna give you some insight into how these are expressed differently between men and women. The number one unmet need of husbands and wives is love. That's a common need. For a man, love is defined as respect and sexual intimacy. Respect is probably even before sex. Respect is number one. Sexual intimacy is probably number two, but they kind of go hand in hand. So for a man, love is respect and sexual intimacy. For a wife, love is defined as to feel treasured. To feel treasured. And I, I'm, I'm up here preaching, man. I've got to ask God. I asked God this morning on, the, on this altar to help me f- figure out how to treasure my wife better. Because here's the reality. If I could say all day I'd love her, I'd go out here and kick, kick anybody's butt for her. I'd fight you if you try to get in her face. But, but there's many times she doesn't feel loved by me. And so it doesn't matter how much I love her. If she doesn't feel it, it doesn't count. And, and, and the same thing, husbands and wives, if they don't feel it, it doesn't count. And so there's this treasure that she needs to feel loved. Husbands, ask your wife if she feels treasured. It's a scary, dangerous question. And you go, well, what does that look like? Ask her. I know years ago I had my favorite sports car. I sold it because it got nine miles to the gallon, but it was my favorite sports car. It had a special little pink rag that I wiped off all the bird poop with a little bit of water so the bird poop didn't get in the little uh, ceramic coating that I put on it. And I was in the garage and you couldn't drive it in the rain for the first two weeks. And my wife's like, you got a car, you can't drive in the rain. What's wrong with you? And I'm out there and I'm, 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 I'm buffing this thing with this little, this little pink rag. And I've been out there for an hour wiping bird poop off the hood and all the spots. And she goes, man, you better, you, you, you've been out there wiping that car down with that pink rag, rubbing that car for an hour. You better get in here and rub my shoulders. You're not going to rub that car longer than you rub my shoulders. I was like, you're right. We got this little dog named Daisy. It's my wife's dog. Loves her treasure. She runs around the house. This little dog finds her all happy all the time, finding her, running, just skipping, find, follows her around, just follows her around. She's like, if you want to know about how you, I need to feel treasured, look at Daisy. I'm like, <laughs> So I started grabbing her leg and just following her around the house. <laughs> she didn't like that after about 30 minutes. I'm holding her pant leg like, what do you want, baby? <laughs> you know. <I> just <laughs> keep your respect. Come on, okay. We need respect. But, but the reality is that's not what she, she didn't ask for that, but ask your wife, what, what makes her feel treasured? A man defines love as respect. You know, they've interviewed men and said, if you, if you would rather be unloved or, or, or disrespected, which, which would you pick? 90 something percent of men would rather be unloved than disrespected. Love is respect and sexual intimacy. And it's a vicious cycle. If we aren't treasuring our wives, then they're not fulfilling the respect and sexual intimacies that we think. And not that women aren't sexual. Men just are, just have, men just are more sexual many times. And I, I don't know why God made it that way. Listen, don't get, I'm not trying to get, get into, don't get, take offense, okay? Women's biology, women present one egg a month. Men produce a million sperm a day. There's a difference. And, and so the reality is that, that in that marriage and relationship, if men aren't treasuring their wives, they're not respecting and honoring. 
And then when, when men don't feel respected and honored, then they are not going to treasure. I would say to you men in here, it's your job to make your wife feel treasured without anything in return. And if you'll do that, if you'll be the initiator and you'll begin to ask God for a supernatural love to treasure her and to honor her, she'll begin to fulfill your needs and your respect needs and the honor on your life without you needing her to do anything or say anything because you're actually getting supernatural heart from God. Is that good? The second common need, number one is love. The second common need is security. I'm going to, I'm going to speed up a little bit. Security. We both need security. Proverbs 3:26 says this for the Lord is your security. I just want to say this real quick that you need to find the deepest security points from God. Quit putting your spouse up as God. That's called an idol. Idols always fall and always fail. If you want your spouse to meet every deep need of your heart and of your life, they are gonna fail. They can't stand under that pressure. What you need to do is release your spouse, put all of those needs onto God. Now all of a sudden, you have put your deepest needs and your security needs on God. You freed your spouse to be a tool of God to fulfill and work on themselves to fill those needs. But if you're putting the pressure on them to fill all those needs, that's an idol and you can't handle that and they can't handle that. But there, here's what security translates to a woman. A woman defines security as to feel protected emotionally. What does that look like? Man, I'm going to be quizzed. My wife's looking at me like, man, you got some homework to do, somebody. I, I just get to tell you up here, like, like, to protect her emotionally. Every young woman, every lady wants to be protected emotionally. And, and what does that mean? So there's different things for different women. So ask your wife what that means to be protected emotionally. But I know one big thing is to fight for her in the home. I'll make it really simple. The same way you grind it out at work, grind it out at home. The same way you solve problems and get engaged and get fired up and get frustrated and give your life and your heart. Come on, thank you for clapping right there. And give your heart and your life to work. Your wife wants you to have that same passion and drive when it comes to the kids' lunches, somebody. When it comes to diapers. Come on, I failed at diapers. My wife said, you probably, I have three kids. She goes, you probably changed 15. She actually said five. I'll give myself 15. She, she wants us to fight in the home and to protect her. Listen, this is important. A man defines security as encouragement. Encouragement. You think that we have these giant egos? We do. You know they're the most fragile things on the planet? A man's ego is the most fragile thing on the planet. We could be successful on the outside, have everything looking great, but on the inside, come on, we feel like imposters a lot of the time, and, and we need our wife to encourage us and say, baby, you're doing great. Baby, thank you for working so hard. We don't need you pointing out our failures every day. We don't need to come home and be discouraged every moment, what we didn't do or how we failed. We need you honoring us and encouraging us. I love when someone says I preach good, but when my wife tells me I preach good, it changes everything for me. I, I need, I, we need, ladies, we need encouragement. I, I'm not going to get into the scriptures, but remember when David brought the Ark of the Covenant? You've heard me preach this before. He brings the Ark in. His wife makes fun of him. He's twirling. He's getting all undignified, dancing at the altar like most of y'all won't do. And as he's dancing, and as he's dancing and being undignified, he goes, I'll make myself more undignified. And his wife's sitting there making fun of him, like many of you do at the people who are dancing. And so, and as he dances, she just honors him. And he says, you know what? It's God that picked me over your daddy to be the king. <laughs> he gets fired up and he starts firing back. He goes, but as for all these maidservants, they'll honor me. I just want to say this. Ladies, don't make your husband fight for honor outside the home. 
affairs start that way. Men, don't let your wife be seen and heard outside the home. Affairs start that way. And so, so I would encourage you, honor him. Encourage him. When he gets home from work, go, baby, you've been working so hard all day. Come here, let me kiss you with the kisses of my mouth. Tonight is your night, bro. Song of Solomon. Honor him. Does that make sense? A man def defines security as encouragement. And the last one, number three, it's very important. I threw the clock out today. It's y'all's fault. Number three. I just think it's going to help somebody's marriage today. Number three, companionship. Companionship. So, so security, companionship. That's a need that we share. God has said that we complete each other. A woman defines companionship, listen to me, to feel connected. When you would begin to try to understand her, you're going to feel connected. She's going to feel connected. Listen to me. Key word. She doesn't need you to understand her. She needs you to try to understand her. It's a difference. I know some of our biggest frustration points is when I've given up trying to understand. We ain't never going to understand them. Come on, somebody. We're a different species. The point is we are actually trying. That is actual companionship. We are fixers. How do you, how do you listen? How do you connect? Listen with your eyes. Look at her. Listen with your eyes. She knows when I'm not connecting. She knows when I'm distracted. She knows when I'm connecting and listening with my eyes. She needs me to connect. Women are connectors. We're compartmentalizers. So when you begin to have that conversation, she's telling you this and that and this and that and every story that's all connected. You're like, where are you? And you're just like, oh. And then you begin to compartmentalize this, this problem. And you're like, well, just, and you get frustrated. You're like, well, just do that. Just do that and fix that. We can fix that. Why don't we just do that? She's already moved on to another problem. You've compartmentalized on the last problem and you're not connected. One, one marriage counselor said this. This is important. Guys, get this. Filter out the problem and focus on her feelings. Many times we filter out her feelings and focus on the problem. So if we want our marriages as men to be connecting Leah was disconnected from Jacob. He didn't love her. She felt it. She named her sons, her last two, seen my affliction, heard my cry. Women want to be seen and heard, not solved. Seen and heard with acceptance. I'm, I'm just, I hope I'm helping somebody today. God wants you to see and hear each other. Men, don't make your wife try to be seen and heard outside the home. That's how affairs happen. Women, don't, help, don't make your husband be looking for companionship and honor outside the home. I'm, I'm going to pray for you. I just want to encourage you that unconditional love will, will, will actually allow someone to grow beyond their biggest mistakes. So whatever your marriage has been or whatever's been messed up or whatever you feel like, man, how did this happen? These, these are expectations that I didn't expect. Like, how did I get here? God can use everything that's been in your marriage up to this point and fix things. That if you'll begin to forgive each other and ask God for acceptance and companionship and, and working together and healing and forgiveness. We've got a marriage conference at the end of the month. I believe some of your marriages need supernatural intervention today. We'll be here to pray. No shame in that. Take some of these thoughts and some of these 
some of these principles and just begin to apply them. I'm going to begin to ask God, help me. God, give me the power to understand my wife. Give me the power to try. Give me the power to engage. Give me the power to connect. Would you just pray with me today? Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for agape love that you, you loved us without anything in return. Lord, when we were still broken and sinners and lost, you gave your life and died for us. Thank you for giving us love. Help us to receive that type of love from you. God, fill up marriages with that type of love, not just on passion, not just on infatuation, not just on, on brotherly love or just or, or friendship. Those are needed, oh God, but let these things built, be built on a love to last. Let my marriage, let our marriages, God, the way you've defined marriage to be built on a love that lasts, a love that's durable, a love that can endure. Lord, sometimes it's agonizing, but Lord, you could give us power in the middle of all that to last and to go through things. Let us be a beacon of, of, of light in, the, in, in this community and a beacon of hope for hurting marriages. Thank you that marriage would again be the foundation of our communities and our homes, that would be the foundation of our church and strength in our, in our church, oh God. We thank you for just a modern day movement of godly marriages. I pray for any marriage that's struggling today that you would breathe on it, God. You would fix it. We give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, would you guys give God praise this morning? Amen. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.